What a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to The Sage Saith, number 180623, A Year with the Church Fathers. Don't neglect Scripture. If we had not fallen through our own sin, we would have been in close communion with God, as Adam and Eve were at the beginning. Since we've lost that privilege, says St. John Chrysostom, we should be careful to make use of Scripture through which the Spirit of God speaks to us. We ought to live so purely that we do not even need written words, but give up our hearts as if they were books to the Spirit. But now that we have lost that honor and do have need of written words, think what a great evil it is for us to fail again in using even this remedy as much as we ought. For if it is a shame to be in need of written words and not to have brought down on ourselves the grace of the Spirit, think what a weighty charge it is that we choose not to profit even after this help, but treat what is written with neglect as if it were tossed out at ransom and random with no purpose. That would be to bring down even more punishment upon ourselves. To avoid anything like that, let us pay close attention to what has been written, St. John Chrysostom, Homily 1, on Matthew 2. God's presence, consider, do I make the use of Scripture that God wants me to make? Closing prayer. Lord, though I am unworthy, make me worthy to attend to your Scripture in wisdom. Through the year with Thomas Merton, for whom you write... If you write for God, you will reach many men and bring them joy. If you write for men, you may make some money, and you may give someone a little joy, and you may make a noise in the world for a little while. If you write only for yourselves, you can read what yourselves have written, and after ten minutes, you will be so disgusted, you will wish that you were dead. New Seeds of Contemplation Magnificat, June 2023, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 9, verses 36 through chapter 10, verses 8. At the sight of the crowds, Jesus' heart was moved with pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send our laborers for his harvest. Then he summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure every disease and every illness. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, Philip, and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon from Cana, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sent out these twelve after instructing them thus, Do not go into pagan territory or enter a Samaritan town. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, make this proclamation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, 
drive out demons. Without cost, you have received. Without cost, you are to give. The Gospel of the Lord. Meditation of the Day. Trusting in His Merciful Heart. Since I am aware that I can do nothing because of my misery, I give myself completely to you, my only love, so that you alone can work in me according to your plan. For I desire nothing other than what you wish. The arms with which I shall do battle are prayer, the presence of God, silence. Yet I am aware of how little I am able to use these weapons. Nevertheless, I shall arm myself with complete confidence in you, patience, humility, and conformity with your divine will. But who shall help me fight a continual battle against enemies such as those which make war on me? You, my God, have declared yourself my captain. You have raised the standard of the cross, saying, Take up the cross and follow in my footsteps. To correspond with this invitation, I promise to resist your love no longer. Rather, I will follow you to Calvary without hesitation. My God, I desire nothing except to become your perfect image, and since yours was a hidden life of humiliation, love, and sacrifice, so also I wish mine to be. I desire to enclose myself henceforth within your most loving heart, as in a desert, so that I may live in you, and you, and with you, and you, this hidden love of my love and sacrifice. O my Lord, you know my great desire to become a victim of your sacred heart, wholly consumed by the fire of your holy love. May your heart be the altar upon which my holocaust shall be, and you be the priest who will consume this victim by the flames of your burning love. I am confident that all will be accomplished by the fire of divine love. My God, how well you know my great need of your help. I trust in your infinite mercy and shall always do so, regardless of the spiritual state in which I might find myself. Always and everywhere I shall endeavor to recognize your will in all things, even though my eyes see only contradiction and uncertainty. I know I cannot depend upon myself, so I shall trust completely in you. Nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ, for in you, O Lord, I have hoped. I shall never be confounded. In all things I shall be content, knowing that the route I travel leads to Calvary. I desire to love you with a suffering love, a selfless love, an active love, a firm, undivided love persevering love. I have promised you many things, but in no way do I depend on my own idolant, indolent spirit. You have enlightened me as to what I must do. Now help me to execute it. All this I hope of your infinite mercy. Golden Nugget number one, inspired by 1 John chapter 3 verse 18. What a difference there is between giving advice and lending a hand. Little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Golden Nugget 
number 2, inspired by John chapter 12, verses 43. The man who pays an ounce of principle for a pound of popularity gets badly cheated. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Golden Nugget number 3, inspired by Matthew chapter 12, verses 35. The heart has no secret which our conduct does not reveal. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Chesterson, day by day. Waterloo Day. The time of big theories was the time of big results. In the era of sentiment and fine words, at the end of the 18th century, men were really robust and effective. The sentimentalists conquered Napoleon. The cynics could not catch DeWitt. A hundred years ago, out affairs for good or evil were wielded triumphantly by rhetorics. Now, our affairs are hopelessly muddled by strong, silent men. Heretics. Reflection. As a scientist examines natural phenomena with great attention, so should we, with even greater attention, examine the phenomena and actions of the grace of God. Behold what one of the great spiritual fathers witnesses about the act of Holy Communion. Father John of Kronstadt writes, I am amazed at the greatness and the life-giving power of divine communion. An elderly woman who was spitting blood and was so completely exhausted that she was able to eat began to recover the day she received communion from me. A young girl close to death began to recover, eat, drink, and speak after communion, whereas before that she had been unconscious and in convulsions and was not eating or drinking anything. Oh, if every priest with the attention of a scientist and the love of a prayerful man would observe and follow the actions of the grace of the Holy Communion, as did Father John. Quotation by St. Augustine There are wolves within, and there are sheep without. The self-liquidation of Christianity. The striking phrase, God is dead, is the poetical expression of modern unbelief. Much is expressed in this phrase that is not to be found in the more prosaic expressions of modern atheism and agnosticism. A vivid contrast is established between a previous age when men believed in God and based their life and institutions upon Him, and a new age for whose inhabitants supposedly this once all-illuminating sun has been blotted out and life and society must be given a new orientation. The phrase itself, coined by Nietzsche, always is almost a century ago, was for long used to express the views of a comparatively few enemies of Christianity, chiefly existentialists, but recently it has caused controversy by being accepted in radical Protestant circuits, and now it becomes a concern of common journalism and the mass media, 
Clearly a responsive chord has been struck in Western society at large. The public interest in the death of God has made this phenomenon one of the signs of the times. To understand what this sign means, one must know its historical context. By its very nature, it is a negation, a reaction against the outwardly Christian world view, which emphasizes the asceticism and the unseen warfare against the devil and the world in order to obtain eternal joy through communion with God in the kingdom of heaven. The founders of the new philosophy declare the Christian God dead and proclaimed man a God in his place. This view is merely the latest stage of the modern battle against Christianity, which has resulted today in the virtual universal triumph of unbelief. The contemporary controversy, however, centers about a new and unusual phenomenon. It is now Christians who are the unbelievers. Yet, in a sense, this too is a logical culmination of a historical process that began in the West with a schism of the Church of Rome, separated over nine centuries from the Church of Christ, Western Christendom, has possessed only a steady evaporating residue of genuine Christianity preserved by Holy Orthodoxy. Today the process is nearly complete and large numbers of Catholics and Protestants are hardly to be distinguished from unbelievers. And if they still call themselves Christians, it can only be because for them Christianity itself has been turned into the opposite, worldly belief. One may observe in this what one orthodox thinker has called the self-liquidation of Christianity. Christianity undermined from within by its own representatives who deemed that it conform itself entirely to the world. To what does all this finally point? Our Lord, when prophesying or prophesying the advent of Antichrist, spoke of the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. St. Matthew chapter 24, verses 15. And St. Paul speaks of the very enemy of God sitting in God's temple and being worshipped in place of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. And this will occur, according to John Chrysostom, in every church. Does not this Christian atheism, atheism, do not these blasphemous worship services, does not the acceptance of even the most unseemingly vulgar manifestations in what men still consider holy places already prepare the way for this end and give one even a foretaste of it? For Western Christendom, God is indeed dead, and its leaders only prepare for the advent of the enemy of God, Antichrist. But Orthodox Christians know the living God and dwell within the saving enclosure of His true church. It is here in a faithful and fervent falling of the unchanging Orthodox past, and not in the dazzling ecumenical union with the new believers that is pursued by Orthodox modernists that our salvation is to be found. Ancient wisdom for today's world, jealousy like a whirlwind. Think of a jealous husband, or worse, 
of a husband who is jealous for no tangible reason, a war or a whirlwind descending on a house, what other metaphor can we use? Anguish, suspicion, lawsuits. A man who is devoured by jealousy is more relentless than a madman. He does not stop gestulating, rushing about, dumping his ill humor on everyone. He vents his anger on anyone he meets, even if there is no reason for it. His happiness is gone. Only sorrow and bitterness are left. Whether he stays at home or goes out in the street or travels, whatever he does makes his trouble more acute, more dreadful than death. His jealousy is a thorn in the flesh, a wound in his soul, and it gives him absolutely no rest. In bed he tosses and turns about as if he were on hot coals. Nothing can distract him from the whirlwind of his jealousy. Not the companionship of friends, nor the concerns of work, nor the fear of danger, nor the merry-go-round of amusements. The storm which is raging in his soul has a force more violent than any joy or any other grief. John Chrysostom on Virginity 52.